episode 99 of the Truth Quest podcast, The Truth About Abraham Lincoln, Part 2. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as Abraham Lincoln, socialism in America, lessons learned from the coronavirus crisis, price gouging, Joe Biden, or secession comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean.com, and most recently, ThinkSpot. The video version of the podcast are available on YouTube, BitChute.com, and Brighteon.com. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Facebook and Twitter advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. In the last episode, we hit the ground running by knocking down several of the most popular myths about Abe Lincoln, specifically his true feelings about slavery, the idea that he saved the Union, the Emancipation Proclamation, and what his suspension of the writ of habeas corpus really meant. I would encourage you to listen to that episode, but it's not a prerequisite for this one. We left off the last episode with a list of specific violations of constitutional rights perpetrated by Lincoln, his administration, and the military in which he commanded, specifically with the gutting of the Ninth and Tenth Amendments and the destruction of states' rights, the death of federalism. So while Lincoln is credited by intellectually dishonest or intellectually lazy historians with saving the Union, what he actually did was destroy it. He destroyed the voluntary nature, the collection of states, as he forced the southern states, literally at gunpoint, to remain in the Union, of which they wanted no part. I guess in one sense he did save the Union, in a geographic sense, I guess. He argued that the Union created the states, which has no basis in reality. It's like arguing that the universe created God or you created your mother. He ignored the compact. That is, he ignored the contract between the states and the state-created federal government. The states are the principal in this relationship, and the federal government is the agent. The principal has the power. Think of it this way. If you buy or sell your home, you sign a contract with a real estate agent. You are the principal, and they are the agent in title and in a contractual sense. Who has the power in that relationship? You do, of course. They represent you. Your contract with them states the few and enumerated services that they are contractually obligated to provide you with. If they step outside those few enumerated services, they are in violation of the contract, and you can secede from that union, you and the realtor. They have breached the contract. So you may be wondering, why did Lincoln, one of the most skilled attorneys of his time, make such a ludicrous and obviously historically inaccurate assertion that the federal government created the states? Well, in order to justify his consistent violation of the constitutional rights of those very same states. He treated the South as if it was a bunch of convicted criminals who tried to escape from prison. He had to preserve the Union. He had to preserve the prison. As we have already discussed, Lincoln was going to deny the southern states the right to secede from the Union regardless of the cost of lives to the economy. It didn't matter to him because he was a power-hungry monster. 
I produced two episodes on secession, episodes 87 and 88, and I'm working on a third, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the subject, but there are a couple things worth mentioning. Number one, the war between the states was not really a civil war. We call it the Civil War, but the South was not fighting the North in order to gain control over the country, which is the definition of a civil war. The South wanted to be left alone, and Lincoln unconstitutionally went to war against them. Number two, the secession of the southern states in 1868-1861 was the culmination of a decades-long feud starting with the 1828 Tariff of the Abominations, which was a protective tariff passed during the John Quincy Adams administration, but enacted in Andrew Jackson's presidency. The tariff protected northern industries to the detriment of the South, given its excessive tax on imports. So in other words, the secession movement had been festering for decades. Now I'm going to walk you through a list of offenses committed by Lincoln, his administration, and or the federal military, all of which he condoned and or ordered. While you listen to the list, I want you to ask yourself one question. How is this behavior any different from any of the worst dictators in the history of the planet? Let's get started. He imprisoned thousands of northern citizens without trial for merely opposing his agenda. He censored telegraph communications. He nationalized the railroads. He essentially employed a secret police, the federal military, to do his bidding. He used them to interfere with elections by employing voter intimidation of Democratic voters in the North. He had the entire Maryland legislature arrested at one point because most of them opposed the war. He ordered federal troops to occupy Delaware to stop the legislature from going into session and discussing secession. He commandeered private homes. He shut down banks. He blockaded the southern ports. He created new states without the consent of the citizens of the states. He deported an opposition member of Congress, a guy named Clement Vallandigham. Check this out. In 1863, Vallandigham was convicted at an army court-martial of opposing the war and exiled to the Confederacy. What was his crime? Exposing what he thought was Lincoln's real agenda, which we will discuss in detail in a minute. Lincoln put the rest of the opposing politicians on notice that he would not tolerate dissent. Can you imagine if Trump did that to Adam Schiff or Nancy Pelosi, or Obama did that to Paul Ryan, Clinton to Newt Gingrich, Reagan to Tip O'Neill? Maybe modern-day American politics ain't as nasty as we were led to believe. Oh, and were you taught about Lincoln's treatment of Native Americans to make way for the railroad? by some of the same generals who pillaged the South. No? Big surprise. In one of the most egregious episodes, 303 Sioux Indians were condemned to death after they revolted when the feds reneged on a land deal. In 1862, Lincoln ordered the largest mass execution in American history. 39 of the 303 were executed. He knew that executing all 300 would be a bridge too far, so he settled on 39. How is it that the history books teach the trail of tears perpetrated by Andrew Jackson's administration, but Lincoln gets a pass? Did you know that Lincoln received less than 40% of the popular vote in 1860? Can you believe the balls of a guy who over 60% of the voters rejected getting away with all this stuff? If what I just described had been perpetrated by some dictator in Africa or Central America or the Middle East, we would resoundingly and correctly condemn it. Why is the history of Abe Lincoln, the tyrant, Abe Lincoln, the dictator, 
and as we will discuss shortly, Abe Lincoln the war criminal. Why is his record whitewashed? So what was Lincoln's real agenda? Well, as described by Congressman Vallandigham, it was not to free the slaves or to save the Union. It was all about national banks, bankruptcy laws, vast and permanent public debt, heavy tariffs, heavy and direct taxation, enormous expenditures, and a strong central government. No more state lines, no more state governments. A consolidated monarchy or vast centralized military despotism known as the American system. Mercantilism, the Whig Party's economic agenda. Brian McClanahan put it this way, Lincoln's objective in March 1861 was to preserve the Union at all costs, and by preserving the Union, Lincoln meant preserving the Republican Party and his fledgling administration. Letting the South go would have certainly made him a one-term president. So what is this American system? What is mercantilism, and why was Lincoln so enamored with it? Well, in a word, power. It's an economic system known for favoritism, nepotism, patronage. It required national banking, and it was characterized by internal improvements, which today we call infrastructure spending. It's an economic system built on protective tariffs, crony capitalism, oppressive taxation, and corporate welfare, i.e. massive subsidies for favored industries. If I had another word to describe it, it would be corruption, as the politically well-connected receive government-sanctioned favors at the expense of the general public. Another word I would use to describe this economic system is anti-capitalistic. So Lincoln was either an economic ignoramus, or he was a power-hungry, corrupt, anti-capitalistic opportunist willing to allow hundreds of thousands of people to die in pursuit of his agenda. He even created an internal revenue bureaucracy within the Department of Treasury for the first time in American history. It was necessary because there was taxation at levels never seen before in the North in order to fund the war, and they needed an enforcement army. So every time you deal with the IRS, think of good old honest Abe. Thanks, buddy. Let's talk about Lincoln's prosecution of the war. Let's see if it rises to the level whereby we could legitimately call him a war criminal. It is well known and well documented that he micromanaged the war. He spent more time at the War Department's telegraph office than anywhere other than the White House. It's also well documented that he fired a number of generals until he found ones willing to do his bidding. So there is no way his apologists to make excuses for or pretend that he did not know what was going on in the field. We know he started the war without consent of Congress. That only came months later. We know that he went to war despite the advice from the majority of his cabinet and many military leaders who opposed the idea. How do we know that? Because Lincoln's highest-ranking officer, Lieutenant General Winfield Scott, the only man at that point in American history besides George Washington to ever reach that rank, we know that he argued against any action that might incite violence. He advised Lincoln to let the South go in peace as wayward sisters. In what world is it justified to kill 300,000 fellow Americans in the South? How is the crippling of tens of thousands of others for life justified? How is the destruction of the economy in, in the South justified? How do you justify burning entire Southern towns to the ground, abolishing civil liberties? All of this, all of this to prevent a few states from going their own way and creating their own country. Over 600,000 dead in totality. That's the equivalent of over 5 million deaths by today's population. 
He violated the Geneva Convention, which dictated the humane rules of war. He violated America's own code of conduct. He violated standards of morality and decency. He was an awful person by any definition. Yet none of this is taught. He employed literal scorched-earth warfare, burned southern towns, waged war on civilians, women and children, and older men who were living in the towns. Over 50,000 southern civilians dead. His military pillaged crops, slaughtered the livestock, plundered towns. There was rampant vandalism and forced loyalty oaths under penalty of deportation or, in some cases, execution. His military took hostages from southern civilian populations, robbed at gunpoint. There are plenty of stories of rape. Churches were burned. Priests and ministers were arrested for refusing to say prayers for Lincoln. Does that sound like a man who explored any avenue towards a peaceful resolution? Or does that sound like the work of a war criminal? Speaking of seeking a peaceful resolution, that was never an option for Lincoln. Brian McClanahan points out the simple fact is that Lincoln wanted war. He had the chance to save the Union without war before he took office. He had the chance to save the Union without war in March 1861. He rejected attempts by Jefferson Davis to meet before the Fort Sumter incident. Davis offered to pay for any federal land or any federal facilities in the South. He offered to pay the South's portion of the national debt. He tried to come to a peaceful resolution. Napoleon III even offered to mediate between the North and the South, but Lincoln refused. Lincoln refused all overtones for peace. As a matter of fact, President-elect Lincoln privately wrote Republican senators strongly urging them to reject any and all compromise proposals from the South. Why the hell aren't we taught about this in history class? Why are we taught to worship this man? Lincoln later told a political ally his decision to provision Fort Sumter had the desired outcome, meaning armed conflict. Nothing can sugarcoat Lincoln's headlong rush into the bloodiest war in American history. What is so ironic, no, not ironic, what is so sad about the war is even with several states seceding from the Union, the Union still existed. The government, the banking system, infrastructure, it all remained. Secession didn't mean war was inevitable. Most Americans hoped otherwise, especially in the South where President Davis insisted that the South simply wanted to be left alone. But Lincoln would have none of it. He was out for blood, albeit he thought the conflict would only last a few weeks, maybe a month or two. Even as the death toll and the destruction mounted, he still made a choice to keep ramping up the war effort. That was a choice he made that history should judge him for, but for some reason the guy gets a pass. McClanahan uses the analogy of someone who leaves a relationship, i.e. the South, and then the other person, the federal government, or Lincoln, says, if you want back in this relationship, you have to compromise. Well, what kind of sense does that make? Because, well, no, actually, I left the relationship, I I've moved on, go screw yourself. What was Lincoln to do? Start a war, of course. He went and beat up the girlfriend that left the relationship and dragged her back to his place. And once she was back, he gave her no rights. To expand the analogy, when the war was over, Congress blackmailed the southern states to ratify the 14th Amendment by refusing to sit their congressional delegation until the amendment was ratified. So first they waged war against the South to force the southern states back into the Union, i.e. force the girlfriend back into the relationship. Then, after they destroyed the economy and killed hundreds of thousands of them, beat up the girlfriend for leaving, they refused to allow them to participate in the government that they were fighting to leave in the first place. That's diabolical. 
Let's wrap up these two episodes with a quick review of Lincoln's first inaugural address. In addition to explaining his indifference to the slaves in the South, as discussed earlier, he took on a combative tone demonstrating his uncompromising nature when it came to protective tariffs. He threatened to invade any states that failed to collect its share of the tariff revenue. Quote, The power confided in me will be used to hold, occupy, and possess the property and places belong to the government and to collect the duties and imposts, but beyond what may be necessary for these objects, there will be no invasion, no use of force against or among the people anywhere. End quote. What kind of person assumes office and then promises to wage war against any of his constituents who do not comply with his commandments, especially coming from a guy who got less than 40% of the popular vote? I'll tell you what kind of guy does that. A sick, twisted, power-hungry, bloodthirsty, bully dictator. That's who does shit like that. Is there any other explanation? One historian called Lincoln's accomplishments the blueprint for modern America. As DiLorenzo said in the final paragraph of his book, The Real Lincoln, it was more like a, quote, blueprint for big government in America, with its income taxation, protectionism, central banking, internal revenue bureaucracy, military conscription, huge standing army, corporate welfare, and foreign policy meddling, end quote. The Constitution, of course, stood in the way of all of that. You know, one of the names given to this war is the War of Rebellion. Well, who rebelled? The South. What were they rebelling against? The Union. Why was the war fought? To force them to remain in the Union. It had nothing to do with slavery. That was only used as an excuse after the Union was getting their ass kicked on the battlefield and Lincoln had lost face. He lost too much face to back down at that point like a real statesman would have done. Someone with integrity that admitted his mistakes, someone that cared about his fellow human beings. None of that entered Lincoln's mind. Well, check that. If any of that did enter his mind, he resoundingly rejected it. He willingly chose the path that ultimately unfolded. He chose death. He chose destruction. He chose to recreate America. It's a damn shame that the truth about Abraham Lincoln is not taught in American schools or universities. It makes you wonder if the truth even matters anymore. If you're looking for an easy-to-read reference guide to have on your desk or on your bookshelf that covers many of the topics tackled here on the Truth Quest podcast, grab a copy of my book, Critical Thinking, spelled with a P like Paul. The subtitle is The Lost Art of Critical Thinking and Common Sense in Politics and Public Policy. In it, I tackle dozens of public policy issues from a pragmatic and logical perspective. It's available at Amazon and anywhere books are sold. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for more information. And as always, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.